If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the 25th chapter, I want to read a portion of Scripture in Matthew 25, starting with verse 31. If you have your Bibles and want to read along with me, Matthew 25 and verse 31, as we read, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee, sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And that may be a strange place to start in terms of what I want to speak to you about. The title of the message is Kitchen Table Evangelism. Kitchen Table Evangelism. I debated over whether or not to use supper table or dinner table, but in my own personal experience, it comes back to the kitchen table, so I chose kitchen table evangelism. And what I want you to get out of that portion of scripture is two out of the six, two, now let this sink in, okay? Two out of the six things that Jesus is going to talk to you about at at the end of all things. Two out of the six things have to do with the kitchen table. All right? Are y'all with me? He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Where does that happen? It happens at the table. All right. You could actually make a case that maybe one more also, where he says, I was a stranger, and you took me in. I think you can stretch it and make a case there that if you're going to take a stranger in, you're, obviously you're probably going to feed the stranger, right? But let's just stick to at least those two right there. If you figure there's six things listed there, that Jesus is going to talk to you and me about at the end of all things. At the beginning of eternity, well, that's not a good way to put it. I guess the beginning of eternity at the end of the world. (laughs) And when we enter eternity in our bodies and so forth after the resurrection, it's interesting to note as a side note that he is not going to have a theological discussion at that point, isn't it? (laughs) He's not going to stand up there and say, all right, you primitive Baptists, y'all were right all all those years. Now, when I was in high school, that's what I told mom after I got kicked out of my Bible study. I can't wait to get to heaven and tell so-and-so that I was right. <laughs> it's not going to happen that way. You say, well, that's kind of disappointing. No, it's not disappointing because understand, at that point, every child of grace will believe the same thing. There won't be any need to point anything out theologically at that point because everybody's mind will be perfectly conformed to the mind of Christ. And you, as a truth believer will know things even beyond what you know now. It'll be glorious. There's not going to be a theological discussion at the end of time. That does not mean that we don't have them now. You understand? We must have them now to point out the character and the heart of our God. So 
he talks to the sheep about what they did, okay? And two of those categories have to do with the kitchen table. Does this not tie in directly to Acts, the second chapter where we read about the big four that they did in the early church? You know, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the apostles' fellowship, in the breaking of bread and of prayers. If you think about that, that's about 25%. Now, I know a portion of that has to do with the Lord's Supper, with observing the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine and so forth. But it also, if you continue to read where it says they continued happily together, they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were not just, it was not just the Lord's Supper. It was them fellowshipping together and eating around the table. So it also ties in, I believe, to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, where the Lord said that you shall, speaking of the law, he said, you shall speak of these things. You shall talk of these things when you sit in your house, when you rise up in your house, when you go about your business and so forth. What do you do when you sit in your house? Part of the time you sit in your house, you're sitting at a table and you're eating. Okay. Now, I'm just going to tell you from a personal standpoint, kitchen table evangelism is one of the reasons that I am who I am today. <laughs> and back in those days, you know, I thought most of it revolved around just how good the food was. And it was very good, that's for sure. But it's more than just about the quality of the food. I love something that my dear, sweet Aunt Lorraine says, you know, the food was great, but the fellowship was better. That's something she says on a regular basis. And as you know, what we've joked for years and said, you know, we meet, we eat. One of you even gave me a t-shirt that said that. I, I love it. We meet, we eat. And it's not just about eating physical meals. It's about eating at God's table. You see, God has a table. Did you know God had a table in the temple? It's the table of showbread. And that's where they laid those loaves of freshly cooked bread. God had a table in the temple. And that was a symbolic table to point to the fact that the living bread, Jesus Christ, would be coming one day. See, how about that too? What about Jesus in John the sixth chapter? He says, I am the living bread. That's a meal right there, is it not? He tells the woman at the well, he says, I am the living water. So what do you do? You, you, you eat bread and you drink water. That's how you are sustained in life. I tell you, I believe that regaining or refocusing or continuing to focus on something as simple as kitchen table evangelism now let me say this too, because I know some of you are sitting there thinking, well, how can he preach that? Because he eats out so much. <laughs> I love to eat out now. I'm just telling you. I love to, I, I'm, I'm a foodie. Is that a weird word? I don't know. I love to eat different types of food. I love to taste different. I feel sorry for these poor people that just don't have taste for things, you know. <laughs> I mean, I love to eat different types of food. I love to go to different types of restaurants. And, and if you think about it, we're living in a time when it's like a grocery store on every corner. There's a restaurant on every corner. <laughs> you know, you can find a different restaurant all the time. And I love to eat out. I love to try different stuff. Now, I like the ones that I like, too. When I find something good, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to ride it in the ground and break it off until I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> so don't think I'm being a hypocrite when I say we need more kitchen table evangelism. And also don't think that I myself am not willing to prepare a meal and, and set it on a table. See, the sisters may be sitting there thinking, oh boy, here he goes. He's going to get on to us for not cooking. <laughs> That's not what this is about. Because food is not food. Food is actually fellowship. You see, there's been many times whenever we would be having maybe family or some, some gathered over at our house and it's been a long day. 
Sister Tracy been teaching school and doing the multitude of things that she does, and she just doesn't she just doesn't have time or doesn't maybe feel like putting together a meal. And so I just say, hey, look, I'm going to pick up, you know, pizza, or I'm going to pick up this. You see, it's not necessarily about the preparation of it; it's about sitting down and doing it. Y'all get that? Sitting down around that table and fellowshipping and interacting with one another. That's a trem- God planned it that way so it would run along with our lives, that we could evangelize one another. We could evangelize our children. We could evangelize one another, friends and family, as we sit around the table and interact with one another. It can carry out in the context of taking someone out for a meal. You could certainly do that, no doubt. But you know, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes when you go to one of these restaurants, some places are so loud, you can't, you can't hardly hear yourself think or talk. Especially, have y'all noticed everywhere you go that there's music playing now? <laughs> I mean, you know, I used to get just a little bit of peace when I'd get out of the car and all the fussing was kind of behind the door of the car and I'd, you know, start putting gas in the, in the car. And now there's a dead gum music playing out of the gas tank. You know, how'd they figure that? <laughs> you, it's almost like you can't go anywhere and find peace of mind. <laughs> You know, one of these days, I expect, you know how you go by the graveyard sometime and you see somebody's got one of those lit up uh, solar things out there? I fully expect to hear music coming out of the graveyard one of these days. And you'll probably find me go and stomp it flat and destroy it and just pay somebody for it. I don't want to hear anything when I go to the graveyard. I want to meditate and think. I really don't want to hear anything when I get out and pump gas. I want to meditate and think. Are y'all as crazy as me? I don't know. Probably not. But everywhere you go, it's just this constant noise going on, noise. And then people got their earbuds in and so forth. You know, think about that. It's just a con. That's, that is one of Satan's tactics to distract you, see? Oh, I, I don't think that David would have ever written a third of the Psalms if he'd have had that kind of noise going on all the time, right? You need to get somewhere quiet. You need to get somewhere where it's calm and just listen to what the Lord says. You said, is he really going to talk to me? Yes, he will. His spirit will whisper to you if you'll listen and turn all that other stuff off. Okay? One of the greatest places that we can come together and enjoy fellowship is around a table. As I said, God had a table in the temple. It was where the showbread was laid. You know, they accused God in the wilderness. They said, can, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? He did in a mighty way, did He not? Right. He sent them angels' food from heaven. He sent them manna. And He also blew in quail from far away. And they had exactly, they had so much till they couldn't take it anymore. So you see, the Lord designed the table. The Lord prepared a table. Is that not what the psalmist says? He's prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. So what? So you could eat and you could still fellowship even in the presence of your enemies. What about Jesus' table? Look at Luke, the seventh chapter. Remember, these are the words of Jesus that I read to you here this morning where at the end of time, the King of Kings will address certain things that went on in our lives and at least over 30% of that involves what goes on at the table. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Look at Luke, the seventh chapter in verse 30. Notice what it says. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. You know, all these other people were rejoicing and fellowshipping and enjoying what the Lord was bringing to them. But the Pharisees, the legalists and the lawyers, that's the doctors of the law, they rejected the counsel of God and they wouldn't follow. 
Now watch what Jesus says in response to this in verse 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. You know, we played a, a silly song and you didn't play along. And we have mourned to you and ye have not wept. And when we told you to be sad, you didn't weep. And you say, well, what's he talking about? Look at verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said he had a devil. Here's a guy that lived in a way that was above morality in a sense. I mean, he was one of the most, if not the most moral prophets that's ever been. You know, he lived in the desert. He didn't have anything unclean around him. He lived off of what God provided, and he dressed in a way that was totally compliant with the law. And here they said he's got a devil. See, you couldn't please these people. You can't please legalists, by the way. And then watch this. This is the part we want. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, is come eating and drinking. And ye say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. You see, Jesus was eating and drinking. It does not mean that he was an alcoholic, and it does not mean that he overate. It means that he enjoyed fellowship around the tables that he sat you get that? You know, John was out in the wilderness and they, they couldn't be satisfied with John because of John's diet and the way he carried himself. They said, that guy's got to have a devil. And then here's Jesus and he's enjoying and rejoicing in the feasts of God and the feasts with God's people. And they said, he's just a wine bibber. He's just a drunk and a, and a gluttonous man. So you couldn't, make, you couldn't please these people. Many, many times we find Jesus enjoying meals with publicans and with sinners and with his disciples. What about John the 12th chapter where you have Mary and Martha and Lazarus who was raised from the dead? Uh, by the way, the definition of the word supper there where it says that a supper was made. The definition is the chief meal, which was usually in the evening. It's also the word for feast. It bears mentioning the way that they often ate back in those days and in those cultures. Some of you may recall Elder Martin Lignani when he was here and he did the question and answer and he, he answered a question about their meals at one point. I don't remember if that was my house or just in conversation, but he talked about how very often there's only one meal a day and it's not a, it's not a very nutritious meal. They don't have all of the nutrients and such that that you would have in a you know, a three meal a day kind of diet, maybe even snacks in between. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we realize just how blessed we are. You got a place like there, like Africa, where they can't have an abundance of meals. Okay. Now in this culture here, the, the general way in which they ate was they would get up in the morning and they would, they would have breakfast. They would break the fast of the night. That's where the word breakfast comes from, break the fast. So they'd have a, a break of the fast throughout the night where they'd been asleep. And then maybe they might have something during the middle of the day, but primarily the big meal of the day was supper. That was the chief meal. So they had a lot of preparation. Now, if you think about kitchen table evangelism, if you only had to prepare a couple meals a day, that would not be near as hard as preparing three and snacks in between, right? But the point of all that is, think about how blessed we are. We can, you know, we can have a breakfast, and we can have a brunch, 
and we can have a lunch and we can have afternoon snack or tea. You can have a, you know, a appetizer, you can have a dinner, then you can have a snack before bed. We are blessed with an abundance of food, are we not? And that's, we need to thank God for that, to live in the land of plenty like we do where others do not. In this culture here, you primarily had them having breakfast and then they would go throughout the day and they would have a big meal in the evening. And that's when they sat down and they often had fellowship and interaction. Think about the Last Supper. That's a big deal, isn't it? I mean, we still observe the Lord's Supper, right? It's a meal, right? It's the unleavened bread and it's the wine that we do a couple times a year. It's a meal. God designed a meal into the ordinances of His church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two ordinances of His church. See? It's a meal. By the way, you can read in 1 Corinthians where they were abusing that meal. They were not handling it in a way that, that they should have handled it. And the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about how to handle the Lord's Supper. So, think about the times that Jesus fed the masses. The people would follow Him out there. I, you know, y'all know I'm a chosen a fan of the, the series. It's amazing. I just finished watching season three and they end with the feeding of the 5,000. fantastic. I re- highly recommend it. But you think about how many times the people followed him out there to get spiritual food and the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he wind up doing? He says, let's feed them lest they faint in the way. He understands that, that physical nourishment that we need as people of God. So I don't want you to think by this message that I'm getting on to anyone and saying, well, you know, it's, it's the mother or the wife's job to always cook. Or it's the, you know, it's the father or the husband's job to always do that. I'm not saying that. And it's, and it's got to be a home-cooked meal and all of that type of stuff. But I will tell you this, that God has designed kitchen table evangelism to where you can evangelize, interact, fellowship with one another. Food is not food. Food is fellowship doesn't matter if you pick up a pizza and bring it home and sit around the table and interact. I tell you, as Sister Tracy and I have gotten older, and I think back on my own parents as we spent many, many times, many hours and many uh, opportunities interacting with one another, talking about things, talking about the day, catching up with one another as we sat around for a meal. And I think about how, you know, it was Sister Tracy and myself and Sister Elizabeth and Sister Lila the other night, we were sitting around that big round table and it was just the four of us kind of spread out. And I was like, well, this is weird. (laughs) You know, we used to have this whole table filled and it was so easy. You know, if you don't get here to the table on time and let's have our prayer and let's start eating, you know, you're going to get in trouble. It was so easy to corral them all and get them there, you know, and begin to interact. Then the problem, of course, was, you know, keeping everybody quiet, talking out of turn, you know, jumping over top of each other or whatever. That's just part of it, you know, but... I thought how easy it used to be to get everybody around the table. And now it's just the four of us left. And I was sitting there thinking, Sister Tracy and I drove together, just the two of us, to church this morning. And I was thinking, this is where we're headed back for pretty soon, one of these days, before you know it. (laughs) How did that happen? I know that you older ones are sitting there saying, yeah, you'll understand even better. But gathering around the table, listen, it doesn't mean that you don't ever eat out. It doesn't mean that. But it means that there is a place that God designed to interact and fellowship with one another, learn things about each other, and and question one another, know what happened throughout your day, instruct and guide. You see, there's so many amazing opportunities that come up at the table. I've shared with you my own personal experience before. 
of the great kitchen tables that I sat around growing up, one just a few miles away from here in my grandmother's house, up there on McCool Road, mom and dad's house, my grandmother McCool's house, which I spent in, in a lot, a lot of time at. They had such an impact on me. And I'm telling you now, the food was amazing. I mean, it was amazing. There's no doubt about it. I don't know that, Brother Marlin, I don't know if anybody will ever resurrect, you know, fried quail and gravy and biscuits again because we just don't have any quail left around anymore to hunt, you know. That's some of the best food that I have ever eaten in my life. And I think back on that, and it brings me fond memories. But I think beyond the food. And I think about my grandmother sitting there, and I think about my grandfather sitting there, and the workers from the farm, and mom and dad, and different cousins and friends, and people that would come. And that's what made the impact right there. The food was great, but the fellowship is what taught me and instructed me. And I like what Brother Luke said about his dad teaching them from Proverbs 7, but he wasn't necessarily saying, now Proverbs 7 says this, they were teaching me. Even though they may not have been quoting the Word of God, they were teaching me about caring for one another, interacting with one another. i never forget my granddaddy McCool. He, he would not come to the table to sit down to eat without combing his hair. <laughs> and you did not wear a hat at the table either. That's, I don't let... I, I know I've made some exceptions for my long-haired girls. They've worn a hat or so at the table from time to time. But the boys are not wearing a hat at the table, okay? The girls say, Daddy, my hair's messed up. And I'm like, Granddaddy McCool's going to rise up and get me. But Granddaddy McCool would take that hat, set it aside. He'd comb the hair. He'd come sit down. He'd prepare himself for the meal. And we'd sit there and we'd fellowship. Over and over again, those things taught me. I'm not sitting here and saying, well, you've got to have my experience. I'm not saying that. I'm trying to teach you what the Word of God says about the value of that kitchen table evangelism. He said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And that was at the table, you see. Listen, Psalm 128 speaks of the blessed man where it says that his wife shall be like a fruitful vine and his children shall be like olive plants around the table. I think about that in terms of when the kids were little and they were all gathered around there and it was so easy, as I said, to corral them to get them there. Now, whenever we get them there and we make those preparations, how precious it is. It means even more to me now because I can't corral them like I used to, you see? But that food, that time to sit down and take that meal is a time of ministry in a time of evangelism. As I said, we meet, we eat. Okay, listen. You say, well, that's, you're just kind of ranting, Brother Tim, about you know, eating out and all this stuff. So I've already told you, I love to eat out. I'm going to keep eating out. But I'm also going to make it a, a focus in my life and continue to be a focus to protect those times around the kitchen table. Earbuds are out. Phones are shut off. Nobody's texting. Nobody. We're going to look at each other and we're going to interact with each other. Because that's what God intended. You know, think about it. People that you know, when's the last time that you looked in their face, in their eyes, and talked to them? You can do that at the table, especially if you've got a round table. Or you can do it at a rectangle or square table too. But I'll never forget this dear, dear lady years ago told me. She said, you know, uh, we were talking about this years ago, 20 years ago. Nobody here, of course. And and I said, these are my experiences having grown up around various kitchen tables and, and been instructed and guided and ministered to through those years. And this dear lady said, well, you know, we never did that with our kids. You know, we would get TV trays and sit in front of the TV and everybody would just eat around the TV and watch the TV. Now, if you do that at your house, 
you know, you don't have to go tell anybody that. You can just change it when you get home, okay? <laughs> but, but we talked about that, and, and she, was, she was not defending that. She was just saying, I wish I had thought about doing it a different way. Because if you're doing that and you're focusing on that squawk box, then you can't interact with one another, see? That type of noise shuts everything down. So the kitchen table evangelism is where we feed the hungry and where we feed the thirsty, give the drink to the thirsty. Some of you may be saying, well, who is that with me? Well, when your children are small, it's your children. <laughs> Without question, it's your children when they're small. And it can be your children as they get older too. Remember the song of Solomon over the song Solomon, the second chapter, the fourth verse? She says, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Should that not be the banner over our tables? It should be a banner of love. Here's a place for food. Here's a place for fellowship. Here's a, here's a place maybe for correction and instruction, but it's a place for interaction. It's a place that ought to be protected. And by the way, did you know that that is where everything is headed for? It's headed for a table. Revelation 19. As we close our thoughts here this morning, Revelation 19 and look at verse 9. Revelation 19 and 9. <clears throat> We're headed for a table. Revelation 19 and 9, And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Did y'all catch that? Everything at the end of time is going to culminate at a table. It's going to culminate at a table. Now, I don't know that it's a kitchen table. It says it's the supper table, okay? But everything's going to culminate at a table. And I like what John Gill wrote commenting on Psalm 128, he says, Now Christ has a table which He has well furnished at which He Himself sits and places these His children all around and whom He welcomes to the entertainment He makes and takes delight and pleasure in them. Is that not the truth? There's coming a time at the end of time at the end of all things, when all matters are concluded, when everything is finished and done, we're going to sit down at a table and fellowship with God. And it's not going to be like any old breakfast, like you just got up one morning and had breakfast and you had to have a meal at night. No, this is going to be the marriage supper, the marriage table of the Lamb. It's going to be a table like no other. And all of God's children will be gathered there. And until we get there, the Lord wants us to understand the importance of the table in our lives. Can God furnish a table in your wilderness? Maybe you're like me and you look and you say, hey, I need to get a little more table time at my house, at home. This is not to put more burden on the cooks of the house. Maybe it's time, if you feel a burden for this, maybe it's time that you learn to cook, <laughs> right? But I'm just going to be honest with you. I have been... Y'all have heard of comfort food, right? I mean, if, if you've never needed comfort, then you probably don't know what comfort food is. But I can remember things that my grandmothers would cook for me. And what do you want tonight? I'd often go and rap on the door of my grandmother McCool's house and say, Hey, what you doing? She'd say, Nothing. What are you doing? <laughs> it's supper time. What you need? I was like, Well... I, can I eat with you? Of course. She'd go in there and she'd pull something out of the freezer. You know, what do you want? You know, baby butter beans? Do you want vegetable soup? I mean, she'd pull out whatever I wanted and she'd comfort me. Sometimes it was just, just the two of us. She'd make cornbread and we'd sit there and we'd eat and we'd talk and we'd fellowship. You know, it was long years after her husband had passed away. 
And I like to think that maybe in some strange way, I didn't even realize it. I think I was probably ministering to her. You understand that? Because she was lonely. And we gathered around that table, that kitchen table. Listen, it hasn't got to be a big production. It hasn't got to be some kind of, oh my goodness, we've got to pull all the stops out and everything's got to go crazy and it's got to be this particular way. It could be as simple as a, as a takeout meal that you take home and you sit down and you begin to look at each other and interact with one another. But I'm telling you, if we can't see the importance in the early church of the meals that they shared together and interacted with one another, and if we can't see the importance of what Jesus says at the end of time, He says, I was hungry and you gave me food at a table. I was thirsty and you gave me... And the people, the sheep say, when? How could we have entertained the great King of kings and Lord of lords? And Jesus makes it so simple. When you did this unto the least of these, my brethren, just one little child of God that you interacted with sitting around a meal like that. It might be at a restaurant, but most of the time back in these days, they didn't have restaurants on every corner. They mainly had meals in their homes. So may we take instruction from God's kitchen table or supper table evangelism. It's a place where we can eat, yes, but we can also eat in a different way. We can fellowship with the saints of God. There's a song that we sing called Come and Dine. And one of the greatest places that you can come and dine and, and eat the spiritual meal of God. The greatest place on the planet is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and feast on the meal. The preaching of the gospel, the singing of songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And if you've never made that public profession, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.